0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so this week I sat down to chat with Adidas Terex Pro, Abby Hall, to talk about some major life changes she's made since the last time we had her and her partner Cordis on the show back in the summer of 2020. About a year and a half ago, Abby decided to trade in her 9-to-5 as a designer to pursue running professionally full-time. She also moved from Boulder, Colorado to Flagstaff, Arizona, trading one trail running mecca for another. And whether it's because of a clear-eyed focus on her training or something in the Coconino County water, Abby's been on a complete tear ever since, racking up podium finishes left and right, and most recently taking the win at Transvilconia last October. We covered just about all of that in our conversation, and along the way took a few detours through her JMT-FKT attempt from a few years ago, the role writing and creativity plays in our life, the weirdest stuff we've seen in the mountains at night, and a whole lot more. It's a fun one, and there's a lot of good stuff in here, but before I bring Abby on, I want to remind you guys about our annual Blister Summit, which is now less than a month away. From February 12th through the 16th, we'll be hosting a series of summit events in our hometown of Mount Crested Butte, Colorado, and we've got a bunch of really exciting stuff on tap for it. There will be plenty of on-snow activities and demo opportunities from industry-leading brands, panel sessions with company founders and professional athletes, nightly gear giveaways, and a whole lot more. For more info on what to expect and how to register, check out the link in the show notes. And finally, if you've been enjoying the conversations I've been having on this show, please do us a favor and leave us a rating or review. Little things like that go a long way in supporting the podcast. Okay, let's get right into my conversation with Abby. Abby, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Matt. It's good to be here. Good to be chatting with you today.
0: Yeah. So since the last time you were on the show, which I think was back in like June of 2020 uh, with your partner Cordis, a lot has happened. Uh you moved from Boulder to Flagstaff and you also picked up running full time. So I kind of wanted to start the show by uh talking a bit about uh both of those events and having you kind of catch our audience up on uh yeah, how life has been.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I really enjoyed that conversation when Cortis and I both got to come on in twenty twenty. We had a lot of fun that day. So it's just fun to follow up and uh yeah, keep keep the conversation going.
0: Yeah. So why don't we start with the move first? Uh, How are you liking Flagstaff?
1: We are loving it. It's been a really fun change. Like, I think for us, um, we are definitely kind of found ourselves always drawn to this part of the country. And so Flagstaff really drew us in because it felt like a little bit more central to the places that we wanted to be in our like immediate Um, vicinity, um, as well as like the fact that um, we're both definitely more on the sun chasing end than snow chasing. And so, uh, yeah, it's been like really fun to kind of have, yeah, just this really interesting geography surrounding us to be able to dip down to warm desert, to still like be living in a town at high altitude. Um, There's just kind of like always something really exciting to be, to be exploring every day of the year so it's been it's been like the right surroundings for us
0: what is the kind of uh flagstaff trail running scene like because i know it's kind of a a hotbed for a lot of runners
1: yeah absolutely um you know it's it's definitely a good group and uh we felt like really warmly welcomed into that which has been super cool um i think one thing that's cool about Arizona as a whole is like the whole, um, Aravaipa running series and all the races they put on. Like right now, Cordis is like in the middle of doing like one of their winter series and he's like racing almost every weekend right now. And it's just really fun to have those like, you know, last weekend, be at a race, be meeting people, be seeing people you haven't seen in a while, do the same thing again this coming weekend. And, um, I think that's been like a nice hub of community as well. Um, and then, yeah, I think, um, you know, also it's just like a good place for running in general. Also with, you know, so much road running that that occurs there and uh, as a training hub. So that's been like inspiring to to be adjacent to as well. Um, it's just like a a good, good time up in northern Arizona. We're loving
0: it. Has the desert kind of grown on you a bit?
1: Oh, my gosh. I love the desert so much. I really do. I just got back like right before this call from a nice run out among some cacti. We're down here at my parents' house, um, like in the greater, in like the Phoenix area. And um, yeah, just being out in the sun, being around the the different like plants out here, the different geography, it's just like really soul filling for me. And having that dose of sun in the winter too is really good for my soul. Um, definitely something like I struggled with from, you know, growing up in Chicago and like, those brutal winters over the years, just really always wore on me. Um, like from like a seasonal depression aspect. And, uh, it's, it's nice to, to feel some reprieve from that and to be like setting myself up for success in like some places that I know are good for me.
0: (laughs) Totally. How often do you get down to uh, the Grand Canyon?
1: So I would say like there's certain times of the year. My, my quick answer is like as much as we can. Um, but like, I think there's certain times of year where we're down there more than others. Like, um, I really have enjoyed using it like as a, like a really good training ground for race prep and stuff in Europe for bigger climbs, dry climbs in the winter. So, you know, if you can like bear with the first half mile to a mile or so of icy trails, you can get to some really cool places down there in the winter, middle of the winter. Um, but then like, I think we're, we're more frequently down there in like the fall and spring. Um, there's times where I'm down there like a couple times in a week and there's times where I'm not down there for a month. Um, So it's kind of based on when we're home and when we can get to it, but like we've kind of established for ourselves, there's no reason too small to go to the Canyon. Like if we just want to go there and go for a short run, that's great. And like sit and eat a picnic dinner and look out at it. That's like just as good of a reason as like a backpacking trip. So we've tried to not be too discerning about like what's worth uh making a trip happen for.
0: Yeah. I mean, it seems like a a very special place to train and to kind of like, you know, a very privileged place to go and hammer up and down.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like there's part of me, like, I I guess I first started talking about that in in the sense of it being like this training ground, which is true for sure. But there is also this very kind of like holy and sacred aspect to it as well. um, That's been yeah, really special to form a relationship with. And, you know, I think both Cordis and I probably even more so for Cordis because he grew up in Colorado, but leaving Colorado for both of us, you know, they're definitely really special places there that we had made those kind of sacred level memories with, you know, on big adventures and to like be able to come and immediately find that in in a new set of surroundings in Arizona was something that we didn't quite expect to find so quickly. So that's been cool.
0: Have you seen any kind of like crazy stuff in the canyon when you've been down there?
1: That's a good question. Um nothing too crazy yet. I mean, I think really just the the conditions and the way different days and weather and times of year and patterns in the sky and coloring, like that's really interesting to me especially like being visually minded um and something I really appreciate. We haven't run into like too many crazy stories yet. Cordis is reading Death in the Grand Canyon right now, which is a really interesting read for anyone uh, fascinated by, you know, like all the crazy things that have happened in that place over the years.
0: Yeah. So I, I want to kind of hit the second, second part of how I started the show with your move to running full time. Can you talk to me about um, what led to that decision? And I know it's been almost like exactly a year since you left your job, right?
1: Yeah, um, actually, like even a little bit more than that. So it was May twenty twenty one. My background's in graphic design, and I worked in graphic design for in like UI design, like visual identity, web UI kind of stuff, um, for about nine years before before quitting that work in May twenty twenty one. Um, so you know that was kind of a long time coming. Like I had honestly tried to make that transition in early 2020. Um, And then the pandemic hit and I was like, I'm going to start doing some freelance work. And then one of those freelance um, clients offered me a full-time position. And I was like, do not say no to a full-time job in a pandemic. This is a smart move. So I kind of um, kicked it down the road for another year. Um, And uh, ultimately, you know, so it's it's something I had been considering for a while, but I think was ultimately born out of this, desire to kind of take a bet on myself and view it almost as an experiment. You know, um, I had had enough design jobs at that point in my career where I felt like, you know, like it felt like at a stable place work-wise to say, I can return to this if I need to. I've got great contacts that if this is a bad idea a year from now, I can come back tail between my legs and say, hey, I'd like to take on some more work again. And I still feel that way too. So I think that has been a part of making this transition feel, um, like not overly risky for me and never feel pressuring or like, this is something I have to do. This is just like the way I've chose to set it up right now. And it's been an experiment that's worked so far. Um,
0: Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's clearly benefited your performance. Like you had a a killer year last year. Um, What are some of the things that like you're doing now in your training and like everyday life that uh, you weren't necessarily able to prioritize when you had kind of like a full time job?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there's definitely those little things you're able to pour into more the, you know, the time in the gym, like I'll try and do like morning yoga a couple days a week, you know, the little mobility exercises and like, you know, prehab kind of stuff before going out the door for a run. Like that's all been really helpful. But then I also think a big, uh, help has been, you know, like having the flexibility to go where's best for the training that day. Um, and you know, like, I feel like a lot of times when we're in Boulder, I would often be like, you know, Finishing work late, still need to do the workout. It's dark. I don't want to slip and fall on the ice. So I'm just going to hit the bike path. And, you know, like that taught me a ton of adaptability, um, which is like a cool strength in and of itself. But like I think, you know, having that flexibility to say, um, you know, hey, I like the weather in Flagstaff's not great today. I'm gonna to go down to Sedona and catch a dry run down there. I'm gonna to go to the canyon and get some vert has helped like on the specificity front for like preparing for races.
0: Yeah. Just like prioritizing running. Has your relationship with running changed? Do you think?
1: You know, it's interesting. Like I, I think I, I have, it's hard for me to like put the right words to, cause it sounds it can, like quickly and easily sound heartless, but like, it's been an interesting transition to this like idea of like taking my passion and making it my job. And like, I think the, um, It's actually been really relieving though, to make it my job, if that can make sense at all. And the reason for that is I think before it was my job, I was feeling very like emotional about my journey as a runner. And I took things really personally, you know, like a bad race felt really personal. Now a bad race feels kind of like how a bad day at like my day job would feel, which is like, I mean, it's definitely like, I have to keep steering it to, to, to feel that way um, and make sure it doesn't become like too personal or too weighing on me. But um, I think like viewing it in a job like way has freed me to kind of separate who I am as a person from my running, which I don't feel like is something I ever hear talked about. I feel like the assumption is always like making it your job means it's like you're everything and you're totally tied to this. And it's kind of felt like the opposite to me, if that makes any sense.
0: No, totally. And I think like as someone that loves running and like covers running uh, for a job, like I feel similarly too. It's kind of like the, the bad days are like, well, it's just work, you know, which I don't think like lessens my relationship with running though. I think like I'm I'm in the same boat as you, it strengthens it in this kind of weird way.
1: Yeah. It's like, I think it, it offers like this big full zoomed out picture of like, especially when you're like working on like coverage and interviews and writing and things like that of like, man, like so many people have a bad day at any given race. Like most people right. do in some ways, like, you know, that that's part of the sport. And I think normalizing that is really freeing. And, um, yeah, no, it's, it's been interesting to kind of watch that unfold.
0: Yeah. I'm always, also like, I can't believe this is my job. You know, i wonder if you feel similarly, like it's so cool that you got to do this for a living.
1: Totally. I a hundred percent feel that. Um, it is not lost on me. Um, and I think because it's something that I never, it's its a place I never imagined myself landing. Um, you know, Cordis and I had to go to a running store last night and I was like pointing out like, oh, these are like the, you know, the gels that I used to get when I was training for road marathons out of college. And like, I, I think back to those days and how like me then would have no idea where I'm at now. And like, in some ways I still just feel like, that same kid out of college that just like to like go running after work and, um, you know, go sign up for some races. And so, yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of pinch myself kind of moments, especially like in our community that we get to find ourselves in and like, you know, the travel and places the sports taking me to it's, uh, yeah,
0: doesn't get old. Are you working on anything outside of running at the moment?
1: Um, so right now design wise, I'm not, I'm like kind of tried to like, say no to a bunch of stuff right now and just kind of like clear my plate. Um, But it's been really fun getting involved in uh, a new project. That's kind of on my plate right now is um, like some work through um, projects with this like pro trail running um, association that's starting up. Um, And so it's just like in the early stages, but it's really fun because there's going to be like some different um, kind of task groups within that, that I am like going to get to involve myself in. Um, So that's a lot of fun. And then another piece that um i get to work on which is cool is i do um some different kind of planning for um helping our team like with our get togethers in the u.s so like helping put together like our upcoming training camp and time around black canyons and i'll do the same for western states so it's fun like kind of putting some of those logistics together for our team and doing some like project-based kind of work for our team
0: yeah, that's something I wanted to talk to you about. I think out of all of the US-based trail teams, I've kind of noticed that Adidas Terex is uh, being like one of the the more close-knit squads. Um, and I'm wondering if you could kind of like describe your team dynamics and how being so close ultimately kind of like benefits um, your each, like all of your performances collectively.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, first of all, it's, you know, being part of the Adidas Terex team is a huge honor for me and, um, you know, is something that like, I think one of the unique parts of it is how this group was brought together. And I look back to when my journey with the team started in early 2018. Um, and that was, you know, like, I feel like they definitely took a chance on me by roping me into something so cool. But at the same time, um, you know, they were like at the early phases of, you know, putting roots down in the trail space. And so it really set this tone of like, let's all build something great together. It was, um, you know, special and the intention, those intentions were set right from the get-go. And so to get together with this group of people around the world, um, who were not just picked for like, you know, being like the number one, blah, blah, blah. But like, being a good group of people that that worked well together, wanted to be part of something like this, um, wanted to have that team mindset. I think like that foundation was you know core to this program becoming what it is today. Um, so yeah, I, I it's been really special to watch it grow over the years. I mean, we've seen a lot of changes during that time with you know um, like everything from being part of, uh, feedback and product ideas for shoes, you know, several years ago that are now a reality to watching teammates like grow so much in their own development as athletes and, you know, achieve amazing things or, um, grow in new ways. Like that's been super special to be a part of. Um, and so, yeah, like it's, um, it's definitely an amazing group of people and that I think has helped us all, um, immensely when it comes to actually, like, racing as well. Um, I think coming to events like UTMB or Western States with this kind of team mentality is um, just something I haven't seen a ton of in our sport. Um, And, you know, I think it's really reminded me the power of just, like, finding your tribe, whatever phase of life you find yourself in, and finding that that team and that family and people that are going to be be there for you thick and thin. And so yeah, that's been a really special thing to be a part of.
0: I was at uh, Western States last year uh, helping uh, Leah Yingling throughout her day and uh, I got to see Ruth at various aid stations and like, she was constantly just swarmed by people in Adidas gear. It was, it was so cool to see you guys kind of rally around her.
1: Oh, yeah. She would just like come in and there's like hands from all yeah. sides. <laughs> It's it's like gives me chills. I get so psyched thinking about that. And like, honestly, like my teammates are the people that I think of in my own lows, like in training and racing, um, because it's, you know, just such an inspiring group of people that like, I think I just like want to make them proud, you know, it's just like our little family. And I, uh, they've seen more in myself than I have at times. And I think we all, uh, thrive when we get surround ourselves with people like that.
0: Right. And I think like ultra running oftentimes gets like mischaracterized as like an individual sport. And I think at the elite level, it it definitely is like more of a team sport, maybe not like visually, but I think like spiritually.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think even, you know, it's something like UTMB where it's like, say like the group of us racing, you know, each day that races were happening, TDS, OCC, CCC, UTMB. like there were a good chunk of us that were not having the days that we wanted. And it was kind of like we were in those lows together at the same time. So whether you're coming in from the day of your life or a rough day on the trails, like you're, you're, I don't know, we're doing it as a team and those lows aren't quite as sharp as they are when you're on your own, I think.
0: Yeah. So I know next month uh, you have a team camp coming up and I'm just curious, like, What do those consist of? Like, give us a a peek behind the curtain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this one will be kind of unique because um, some of the group is going to be racing Black Canyon at the end of the week. And we've got a few of our teammates coming over um, internationally from it. So we're hoping to show them a good time in the USA. (laughs) And um, yeah, so like I think there's maybe five or six folks in the group that are going to be racing at the end of the week. Um, and then the rest of us will be, you know, out training and sharing some miles and things like that. Um, and then we will have some great support in terms of like, um, food and like physio help too. So especially I think for those, um, treating it as like a training camp, really helpful to just like have those things covered off on for a week and to be able to come in from a run tired and chill on the sofa and hang out together and not have to worry about like, you know going out for groceries and doing too many chores and things like that. Um, Yeah. And then I think for those racing, like having that physio support is like super huge going into race week, feeling fresh. Um, But like above all, it's really just like a time for us to get together and like, you know, catch up. Like a lot of us haven't seen each other since like early fall. Um, And yeah, to like hear how people's winters are going, um, you know, especially kind of some of us are coming from, small towns or from ski seasons or whatever it might be. And like to just kind of have this touch point, um, is something we all really look forward to.
0: Yeah. I'm jealous. I would love to be a fly on the wall.
1: Oh yeah. It's fun. Yeah. We, we have a good time. There's a lot of, a lot of laughs and, uh, good conversations, meals, all that. Um, last year we all enjoyed some like, you know, time under the stars in the hot tub, like talking about life and, I think it's just like a really grounding way to start the year. Um, Yeah.
0: I want to pivot a little bit and talk about um, your writing. Cause for my money, I think your race recaps on your website and on Instagram are like some of the best out there. And I'm, I'm just curious uh, how writing helps you kind of like process a race.
1: Well, First of all, I really appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. Um, Yeah. I, I definitely feel, and I I feel conscious of this, even as we're talking in this format, I feel like I can write better than I can speak sometimes because it often takes me a while to really put words to some of the more complex emotions surrounding racing and performance and things like that. Um, I definitely am a heavy iPhone notes user, like probably have taken many a falls on the trail trying to like type a note into my phone with one hand. Um, or like I've started trying to do more like voice memos cause that's like a little bit more hands-free friendly. Um, safer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I returned to it a month later. I'm like, what was I talking about? But like in those moments in the trail, you're like, I just, oh, totally. like, I just yeah. achieved enlightenment. Like this you're is like, like I'm going to
0: win a Pulitzer <laughs> yeah, from this. Exactly. Like this is genius. <laughs> and then you look back and you're like, I, what, what is
1: wrong with yeah. me? And incoherent and all you hear is the wind. <laughs> no, definitely I um I've really enjoyed kind of like uh kind of forcing myself to just put words to the blog page and um some of those post race recaps recently like I for a couple of years there I feel like I was just easily sitting on that stuff and thinking oh no one wants to read this like this is just kind of like a I had a gel I went up the hill blah 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 but I don't know I think that there's something um really special getting that like kind of glimpse behind the curtain to someone's race day. And even like the way they talk about it, I think you can glean a lot more than you as the writer might feel like you're giving in that moment. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's definitely part of my process as an athlete to the point that I feel, I feel usually like where that's like where a lot of the growth for me is occurring is things that I'm, kind of unearthing in my own journaling and notes and self-exploration. Um, and that's one of my favorite parts of the sport. Um, so that's been cool. Um, and yeah, I appreciate, appreciate the words on that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think you're, you're right. Like you never know what someone else is going to relate to.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's usually like, it usually catches you by surprise. Like when someone does share what it is they connected with, like, it's yeah. not always like the big thing you expected.
0: Do you think like your writing and i guess like your creativity influences your running in any ways? Like does it kind of like reverse direction?
1: That's interesting. I think I definitely feel like I have a um well, I guess I think a lot of like some of the first running groups that I joined like when we moved to Colorado, I remember looking around and thinking I see so many amazing minds in science and research and medical fields and engineering and but I was like looking around and realizing I'm not seeing like a lot of other people that were like doing creative fields and so I was always curious about that thought of like is it more common in ultra running to be maybe of this like left-brained skill set if you will um and so I've been like really uh drawn to like Seeking out of meeting other types of people that are maybe wired similarly, and of course, like you know, as you dig into it more, you realize there's so many great writers, photographers, designers, what have you. But I think oftentimes we're, um, yeah, maybe just a little outnumbered. But I do think that it has played into my mindset some, and in, in how I like see and approach things, and I don't know, maybe what what numbers I'm willing to throw out the window and what perspectives I'm willing to like guide an entire season. Um, I feel like things like my own personal mantras and stuff like that have been just as influential as like training. So an interesting yeah. thing to play with. Like
0: qualitative.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. You majored in English, right? In college.
1: Yeah. Um, I double majored in English and art. So like, gra- okay. like with each with like an em- like English with an emphasis in writing and art with an emphasis in graphic design.
0: I want to start a book club for all of the English majors that are are trail runners. I love this. I don't know like what we would read, but I think it's a good idea.
1: You were an English major as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: I know. It's like, it's pretty fun to to spot the fellow English majors.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I don't know, just killing some time earlier on the internet and like stumbled across one of those like listicles that was like, what are like the 10 most useless like college degrees. And I always look for English because it's always on there. And I think it was like number seven. And I was like, well, Well, (laughs) Uh, I want to talk a bit about um, more of your kind of like adventures from last year. And I thought a good place to start would be actually in 2020 um, with your uh, JMT, FKT attempt. Cause as, as someone that has, um, a strong emotional connection to that area, uh, I kind of wanted to get, um, your, yeah, your story from, from how that kind of came together.
1: Well, first of all, anyone with a, like a soul connection to that area is like a soul friend of mine. So I, um, always appreciate that and always love any chance I get to talk about that part of the world. Cause it's my favorite. Um, yeah, um, so in twenty twenty, um, you know, I think a lot of us runners were coming up with some unique projects that were things that we'd maybe daydreamed about or thought we'd do in like another half decade or so, um, but got presented opportunities for. Um, and yeah, I went for the FKT on the John Muir Trail. Um, spoiler alert, missed it by about six hours. <laughs> um, I always like to clarify that. Um and Yeah, it's, you know, that area is really important to me because um, it's kind of what first guided a lot of my life transitions around making the outdoors and mountains and trail running really at the center. Um, And that was when I was living in Los Angeles after college and started spending a lot of time um, in like the Eastern Sierra, um, fell in love with it. And um, yeah, I had first attempted the FKT on that trail four years earlier in 2016, made a supported attempt on it. Um, dragged um, Cordis with me at the time. He and I had just started dating, um, and yeah, like it's. I almost view it as like my uh, like every four years like college increment thing. Um, I I already like hope to return again. Um, but yeah, made it made a good effort on the two hundred and twenty mile trail. Um, but like in twenty twenty this year that we're talking about um, decided to go for it unsupported. And so that was something that was hugely out of my wheelhouse at the time. Um, we had, Cordis and I had done some other like overnight, um, epics, you know, especially that summer of 2020. And that was kind of what led me to try and get a permit in the first place. Um, and then, yeah, really just decided to take advantage of this weird time and go be in the outdoors by myself for several days and had a very impactful, really life-changing experience out there.
0: Yeah. I think that was like right around the same time Corinne Malcolm, our mutual friend, uh, ran around Lake Tahoe. So it was definitely a year for for super long adventures.
1: Yeah. And like, and with all of the wildfire activity that year, I just like remember Corinne and I both like messaging back and forth of like, Okay, like it seems like there's a window for my thing or her thing, and like trying to fit that in in like those late summer months in California can be like kind of a crapshoot. So we both kind of threaded the needle as best we could that year.
0: Yeah, uh, this is a, a very strange connection, but uh, earlier this morning I was drinking a cup of coffee from. A mug that your mom made for Corinne because after Corinne set the FKT on the on the Tahoe Rim Trail, she gifted everyone in her crew uh, a mug, and uh, yeah, it had your mom's name on it.
1: I love that. Yes, yeah. that yes. My my mom's a potter and she does some amazing work. I always love to give her a shout out and stuff like this. So. Um, that's such a fun connection. I love that. And it's a Mitchell thing too. So
0: yeah, Mitchell thing. There we go. Um, so getting back to that, uh, uh, FKT attempt, what was your like strategy going into it? Like, how did you think about like sleeping, nutrition, stuff like that?
1: I mean, so like, I, I think I got my permit a month before my start date. Um, so it was kind of a crash course. Um, I tried to hit up as many people as I could who had, done similar style things before um did my gear research and um ultimately decided to take an approach that um I would bring some heavier items um so that I could set myself up to finish this so it was not an fkt at all costs thing it was like a go have an experience in this trail and try and go as light and fast as you can with your current skill set So like already, if I was going back tomorrow, there's a lot of things I would be crossing off that list or changing or risks I can be taking, you know, like in the same way that I had taken that approach with racing of just like increasing my risk level. Like this was kind of the version of that with the dial turned all the way down of like not taking too many risks um, and, you know, packing some of those comforts and extra food and things like that to be prepared to be out there for like up to, you know, six days if I needed to. Um, and kind of just like even further backstory on that kind of ethos was that like in 2016 when I went for it um supported, like immediately when I fell off my timetable, like the trickle down into the logistics of food sleep gear that being off my timetable put me on was like enough to be like, well, I have to pull the plug because I was six hours late to this checkpoint, which meant I hadn't eaten in four hours and which meant I didn't have the right gear with me to stay warm and I've now caught a chill and I'm behind. And, um, that was a really interesting lesson. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of like a little bit of the backstory for that reasoning. Um, yeah. So like I did a couple small overnighters preparing for that trip, just testing gear systems and, you know, um, like mainly around sleep and calories. Um, and then like, I think the dial that, I still think about a lot is like the, the one of like how much to sleep, how much to keep moving. It's interesting. Like the record holder, um, Amber Monfort, she slept quite a bit longer than me every night and then was moving faster during the day. Um, and so it's interesting. I've tried to, you know, read some research on that, um, because there's everything from like, you know, not wanting to like start like, edema too soon and trying to like wake up before edema is setting in and get back moving again versus like getting a full night's recovery and moving faster during the day. Um, so that was an interesting variable to play with where I ultimately settled on like, I think four hours of sleep the first night for the second, like an hour and a half, the third and 20 minutes, the fourth or something. Um,
0: yeah. Gotcha. Did you see anything like weird out there i've heard you talk about a potential ufo encounter
1: i yes i had a really crazy uh encounter on donahue pass for those who know the area um where like i'm looking ahead on the trail and for the first time i see like a bright light coming towards me i think oh finally like a fellow night traveler like a pc tier or someone enjoying this full moon um like it looked like about the you know same brightness as if you saw someone with a now headlamp uh, three quarters of a mile up a pass. And and then I saw that light like slowly rise up into the sky. And I was like, OK, well, I realize I'm quite deprived on sleep right now. So no one is going to believe me. So I've got to really try and think about this rationally here. So I tried to like ve- like stop and view how the light was moving against fixed objects like a rock. And I was like, OK, this thing is definitely Moving up and down, and proceeded to just have this like kind of surreal, like three-hour experience with this light, very local proximity light bobbing above me on this pass. And I decided that my my best tactic was to turn off every light on my person. So I turned off my headlamp for the whole duration of going up and over Donahue pass and just tried to move as quick as I could.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's some weird stuff out there. Cause you're so close to where like all the military bases are like, I've been out there um, further south kind of by like uh, above like Owens Valley. And I've seen like Black Hawk helicopters like run missions at night and like stuff like that. Yeah. Just like shooting stuff like 20 miles away. It's insane.
1: That's crazy. And that honestly, like when it was happening, I was like, I'm just assuming this is some, yeah, like military aircraft kind of thing because it's obviously something. And I just tried to view it as that and not view it as something too threatening. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah weird stuff weird stuff happens out there at night i'm telling you
1: does yeah oh now i want to hear some of your stories
0: oh
1: man the black helicopter uh, sounds pretty crazy
0: (laughs) yeah the helicopter stuff was weird i also like i've gotten buzzed a few times by like fighter pilots they like fly really really like close to the mountains over there um To the point where you could, like, see the pilot. And I think they do it just to scare through hikers. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. It's
1: like, we we just watched, like, the new Top Gun recently. And I was like, oh, these are, like, the people we hear, like, buzzing overhead. Like, (laughs) we're out there and get freaked out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There's some really cool history around that area in terms of what, like... The Air Force does uh but we, maybe that's a, a a subject for another day <laughs>
1: yes yes please
0: <laughs> uh i I know you were uh you spent some some time out in the Eastern Sierra this year as well before you headed over to to what um would you get up to
1: um yeah, I mean like time out there has become kind of like a non negotiable for me, like if I can't live there, I need to be out there like as much as possible <laughs> um and yeah. especially in those summer months um and so yeah, we went out in our van, um, like in June and July, um, this past summer. And that was definitely a, um, a unique summer out there because I had just split open my knee and was recovering from a really bad wound. I took a bad fall in the Grand Canyon. Um, and so it was actually really cool though, because I think it taught me that like, I love it out there so much that I am just as happy if you prop me up in a camp chair and, Cortis goes for some awesome ridgeline scramble and i'm there waiting at the van chilling and reading my book um and i think that was kind of an important thing to to prove to myself that like i was really happy just to be there too um and then i did i was able towards the end of our time out there to start getting out for some um longer runs like up to a couple hours and things like that so that was cool um but i guess like I mean, without going into too much detail about it, the whole knee saga, like Curtis and I had, my knee had started to heal. And then we went out um, on this like backpacking trip. We were going to go for like three, four days over the 4th of July. And um, on day one at the top of Pincho Pass, I took a dumb trip, re-split open my whole knee <laughs> oh. and it was like just awful. We had to just like wrap it up and descend all the way back out down sawmill pass back down 10,000 foot descent with the thing wrapped up. Yeah. Drive to the ER up in Bishop in the middle of the night. Cause like, I mean, I just didn't want to take any risks with it. Like we're in Bishop and the nurse in the ER is like, man, you should have just like washed it out and kept going. And I was like, I just didn't want to make the wrong decision. You know, this is too much of my involves too much of my livelihood and passion to risk like having some long-term issue with my knee but yeah that was a crazy saga but yes you yeah. you, you know the sawmill pass uh
0: oh yeah I'm, I'm i'm pretty familiar with that one uh but no i think that like your perspective is is the right one in that in that setting i mean you had uh ccc coming up which we can talk about maybe a little bit later but uh you managed to, to rally for that so your knee ended up healing pretty well
1: yeah it did you know like it was um kind of circling back to this running theme, maybe of risk tolerance, like going into CCC, it was like that risk tolerance thing was turned up pretty high where I was like, you know what, this is either going to work or it's not. I'm going to just take it run by run. Um, you know, I still arrived to Chamonix with like a huge bandage around my knee. It was still healing. Um, I wasn't, I didn't have like the best mobility, but I was just trying to like, you know, keep at it. Um, and it, it turned around and, Things worked out and I got in enough training to, you know, put together a good race. And um, I think that's where the benefit of, you know, having had a healthy rest of the year comes in and that consistency in other ways helped me out. And I was able to kind of rely on that.
0: You did the bulk of your buildup for CCC over in France, correct?
1: Yeah. So we were in, let's see, basically the summer last year went um, Western States were out there supporting our team post-Western states, we were in the Eastern Sierra floating around in our van. And then we headed over to Chamonix, like, I think July, like 18th or 20th. And um, and then we were out there through September. Um, so stayed a little after you can be. How important
0: was that for you as opposed to like jamming out there a week before the race and like having to go through like the whole kind of, you know, sponsorship obligation tour?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I have found that I personally really like and benefit from a lot of course scouting. Um, I, and I think maybe that's that, um, you know, maybe we could call it the visual side of me or emotional side of me that likes having these like distinct memories and connections with the places that I'm running. Like I like having memories of a bad workout that I, you know, gutted it out or a great run where I felt really connected to the sense of place I love having memories like that about the place while I'm racing there. And so for me getting out there early and getting out to any of these like bigger a races early has become like a important part of my process to the point where I'm like, I would rather race two or three times a year and like really be full on about it. than race a half a dozen times a year and go in blind to, you know, yeah. So it's part of it. I like
0: were you, do you think you were more aggressive this year at CCC than in years past?
1: Definitely. Um, yeah, I I definitely, it was my first year where I really went in feeling um, like, you know, I had a, could make a good bid for the win. Um, and that was unique to, compared to the year before, where like, I arrived in Champagne lac in a good position and was like, oh man, like today's going really well. Like I'm going to go with it. Um, that was more reactive in 2021 and in 2022 it was more proactive and like just, you know, going for it from the moment we are running out of Cormier. So that was, um, and that's kind of, I think a little bit more how racing looked for me in 2022 in general and that was the first year where i was really going into some of these big international competitive events feeling um feeling like i could make a good push for wins at races like that and that was a new space for me
0: did you kind of like learn anything in your ccc that translated into Trans
1: good question um i think Hmm. i mean i think i i did learn um that i think I I do really like to push my strengths for me. Like I see my strength primarily as climbing. Um, But it's like been really interesting because I say that of course, but then I actually studied like my splits in both CCC and Transylvania and learned that like I was making times up on the descents, not the climbs. And that was really interesting to me. So I guess I say that with an asterisk, push your strengths, asterisk, like, make sure you know what your strengths really are. (laughs) Um, yeah. So like, I think that was one of them as well as, um, you know, just the, the general theme of kind of like racing harder from the gun and not waiting for the race to come to you. Um, that was something that in the past I had found myself in situations where races didn't go well. And it was because I was kind of expecting them to unfold a certain way. Like say at like Western States 2021, where it was more like, okay, I thought the storyline was going to be, I went out smooth and controlled and a bunch of people went out fast and then blew up. And then I breezed past them like on Cal Street. And it's like, actually, no, everyone went out fast. They all ran really well. They held on tight. And instead I was just kind of like running by myself, like a little too far behind to catch up to where I'd hoped to be. So I think like, I uh, yeah I've made some adjustments after races like that and tried to take things you know take control of it early on.
0: This question might seem kind of trite, but I'm just interested. Like, how did it feel to win Transvolcania?
1: You know, it was it was really special to me. Like, I felt kind of I, I think because I my goal for racing for at least. I don't know, the last four years or so has been like, just always go to the most competitive races possible. And like, I would just like see a competitive start list and like, and just sign up for it because I just wanted to like be where the competition was at always because I felt like that was the best way to grow. And so I think because I got so used to just always being like in the mix, like I, it was really kind of a, a uh, special moment to like actually pull off that win. And, um, I was talking like with a friend after, and she was like, you looked really like surprised, but it didn't seem like surprising to me that you would win, but it was just really like a personal emotion in that moment because it just kind of felt like I was actually having that, that moment that, um, that I dreamed up for a while. So it was cool.
0: Yeah. It was a, a hell of a race to watch.
1: Oh, thanks.
0: Uh, so before I get you out of here, I wanted to talk about, uh, one more thing you did last year, which was lowest to highest. Oh yeah. So it can kind of come full circle back to the Eastern Sierra.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for those not familiar, um, okay. I'm, well, I'm going to guess that a lot of listeners here are familiar with Badwater 135, which is connecting, uh, Badwater basin to, um, the top of Whitney portal. Um, and you know, this long gradual uphill race, um, lowest to highest is like the kind of off-trail sister to that race, if you will. So you are not running on the road from those lowest to highest points, but you are navigating more cross-country travel, crossing the panamints, the Inyos, um, and then ultimately like continuing on to climb Mount Whitney and end the route at the summit. Um, this has been a route that and it's about adds up to be similar distance, a little longer, maybe like 140, 145. Um, and this is a route that had been like on Cordes is on my radar forever. And I think we like we've had it slotted in for the last like two or even three years, like in the fall. And it's just one of those routes that has really fickle conditions because you don't want to be like doing some of these big open desert crossings when it's still too warm. But then you also can easily enter territory where Whitney's been like covered in snow and you're then having to like bring mountaineering gear and it's like a whole thing. So we um didn't time the conditions right this year. But um I had been kind of nagging Cordis to do it this year. And he was like, no, let's just do like, you know, let's go have like a nice few days on like the Arizona Trail together. Like, you know, bring some hot meals, like have a fun few days. This was like, I'm gonna get the dates wrong, but I feel like it was like right around thanksgiving or something like that and yeah yeah it was thanksgiving weekend and and then i was like kept trying to like mention lowest to highest and finally it was the sunday before thanksgiving weekend and we're having coffee at home and i was like okay it's my my one last push you sure i couldn't convince you to just you know go do lowest to highest and i i got him to say yes (laughs) So and, so, and he's like, all right, if you handle because, you know, like I'm the the one with the 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 day job or the daytime flexibility and he's working as an engineer. He's like, if you can figure out between now and when we need to go, like all the logistics and like get us packed up and ready to go, like, let's do this. And so I was like, yes. Um, so there, the route involves like a lot of water caching and things like that. So there's some some legwork involved ahead of time we spent all Thanksgiving day cashing water and then started like on Friday morning, um, Whitney and, and telescope. Um, the first range that you cross like both covered in snow, like it was not ideal times to do it at all. But like, honestly, we were just so excited to go have, go kind of like have a mission to end the year with together and just go have fun. And like, um, we kind of, struck this balance of like okay, we're gonna bring hot meals and like nice backpacker food, but like we're not gonna sleep for eight hours we'll sleep for like four hours, you know um and um, ultimately um Cortis was having some like issues in his um like it was like a combination of like his knee and his foot and Um, we decided to call it in Lone Pine. So we're calling the trip lowest to Lone Pine, which is still about 110 miles or so. And it was, yeah, a really special adventure. I'm actually just working on a YouTube video um, right now that I'll put up soon about our adventure out there. Um, It's a good time.
0: Yeah, that area is like, it fascinates me like endlessly. It feels like haunted.
1: I couldn't agree more. You, have you done any parts of the route?
0: No, I've like, I've been down there and kind of just like, I don't know, went went on some day hikes a while ago, but, uh, I'm itching to, to spend more time in that area. Uh, I know like, like there's so many cool, like old mines to check out and like weird stuff that you
1: find. Oh my gosh. Totally. Like I, I feel really fascinated with that era of history out there. And like, it was so bizarre. Some of the things we were coming across, like we came across like the the tenders cabin of like the old salt tram that goes from like Saline Valley like over to like Owens Lake and you know just like you can just walk in the cabin and um or like abandoned cars and bikes and not like trash like I mean it is trash but it's like probably a hundred years old trash time. yeah it's like really fascinating old trash. <laughs>
0: it's like hard to explain
1: why this is so special people are probably listening being like what is this um but it's really cool
0: yeah and I think like visually I'm always like taken by it because it is like so otherworldly
1: it really is and it just I think it especially in a place like California where like it's easy to be in like urban environments and feel just kind of like every square inch has been like you know developed in some way and then to be like you know three hours from LA and be in a place that feels more remote than like any place I've ever been is just very surreal.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of cool history, uh, that I've read about in like uh, books like Cadillac desert that kind of explain why that area wasn't developed. Cause originally I believe like the whole Eastern corridor was going to be turned into like essentially like ski resorts. Um, But for whatever reason, because LA needs water, they like stopped any kind of, uh, yeah, construction.
1: Yeah. It's been interesting to do a little bit more reading about that. Actually, like a book I'm going to just plug on here and recommend to you as well is um, this book that I actually picked up at the Looney Bean and Bishop this summer called Miracle Country by Kendra Work, And it's just a beautiful memoir for anyone who has an affinity for for the, for that region. Um, and you know, she's addressing everything from her own personal memoir of growing up in the area to history of water rights and development and things like that. And, you know, as a creative person, just, I love the way she writes. Um, yeah, it's really beautiful reading.
0: Yeah. And I think like reading about, um, like the terrain you're running on kind of like reinforces the emotional connection that I have with like running, um, which is kind of cool.
1: Right. Like as a means for exploration and kind of getting to see history with your own eyes and feel the things that people who've come before us have felt.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, that's all I had for you, Abby.
1: Cool. I I feel like we could keep talking forever. It's it's great. Well, I'll have you back on. Okay, cool.
0: (laughs) Awesome. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Abby for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week.